Welcome to the Long-Term Care RD podcast. My name is Michelle Sari. I'm a registered dietitian and I have a master's degree in human nutritional sciences. This podcast is going to feature myself speaking about nutrition and aging well. So this goes for everybody from the older adult to the elderly population. I help both individuals, caregivers, and registered dietitians to make better choices when it comes to nutrition. We're going to be tackling some topics that are dietitian-specific about working with the elderly population, but it's also going to be beneficial if you're looking for information on great nutrition as we age and managing chronic conditions as well from a medical nutrition therapy perspective. So stay tuned. I'm going to have some great guests coming on in the future. So stay tuned if you want all of the nutrition answers to your older adult and elderly population nutrition questions. Today we're going to be talking about nutrition and dementia care. I recently wrote an article about this topic that you can find on the longtermcarerd.com website. I have treated likely thousands of dementia patients at this point in my career, and I am convinced now more than ever that every dietitian needs to take a course on dementia. We have an increasing rapid pace of dementia patients that are coming into long-term care. People are coming in older, uh, they're staying in their homes for a lot longer, and this is making the chronic care that they're receiving very high. So dietitians need to be educated on the difficulties in nutrition that come up with patients that have dementia. Today, I'm going to give you the top five foods that a dementia patient needs to eat so that you can improve their nutrition health. So let's dive right in. Dementia can go by a few different names. It can go, we call it dementia, Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia, or we simply refer to it as a blanket cognitive impairment. You might wonder why are these names used interchangeably? And it's simple, because they're all correct ways to refer to a patient with dementia, and we're not always sure of the exact diagnosis of dementia, so sometimes it is called Alzheimer's disease, because that's a specific branch and diagnosis, and other times it's simply called a cognitive impairment if the diagnosis hasn't officially been made. But a patient with dementia has a cognitive impairment, and these are measured on a scale depending what measurement you're looking at, from no cognitive impairment to severe cognitive impairment with levels in between. In my history, it's fairly common that patients are diagnosed with dementia in the mild to moderate cognitive impairment stage. This is usually due to the fact that the early stages just don't show many signs of dementia. So while families that are caregiving for their loved one may notice that they're starting to become a little more forgetful, just an example might be keys are left in the fridge or maybe they don't remember where they are at all. And sometimes people will just chalk this up to, oh, you know, they're getting older or they didn't sleep well the night before. But these can be signs that dementia is starting to creep up on somebody. It's usually when things become a little more serious. So maybe their safety's in danger, they got lost in the car and ended up somewhere that they were really unfamiliar with. 
Um, that's typically when families will take them into a doctor and they might receive that diagnosis. And this is typically, I don't want to say in all cases, but in the mild to moderate stage. So right in those middle stages of dementia. Now, it's typical that memory problems give some indication that they're starting to have impaired brain function, but not always. So sometimes it might not be caught till the later stages. We just don't know. Um, dementia, though we know a lot about it, there's still some mysteries that need to be solved. But I don't want to get too into the weeds about defining dementia here because it's going to be covered in the dementia and nutrition course that the long-term care RD is going to be putting out soon. So overall, it's just important that if you are a dietitian working with the elderly, you should have a solid knowledge base on the disease because more often than not, you will have patients that have some level of cognitive impairment. Now, dementia is a terminal diagnosis, though typically it's not described that way, but it is progressive brain damage that impairs optimal body function. The brain function and brain cells are essentially dying. It's not terribly common, though, to see on a death certificate that it's going to say dementia, but dementia impairs so much of the bodily functions as it progresses that someone diagnosed with dementia will likely die from a side effect of it. So take, for example, if somebody gets aspiration pneumonia due to dysphagia secondarily caused by dementia. The patient may die from the pneumonia, which is going to be on the death certificate, but it was actually the dementia that caused the brain to no longer be able to swallow properly. So this is why, as dietitians, we really need to try hard to manage the nutrition side effects of dementia and the only way that you can do that is if you know what are the side effects of dementia. We all want our patients to live out their last years comfortably, which means the nutrition care plan will likely change significantly, not only as they age, but as the disease progresses. So I'm going to lay out the best foods to offer patients with dementia in order to increase their food and fluid intake, manage the nutrition side effects, and improve their overall health. Also, if you're listening to this and you're a caregiver of somebody with dementia, this list is going to be very helpful for you. So we need to understand the nutritional needs of dementia patients. While we can't stop the progression of brain damage, we can provide a well-balanced diet that manages the area that dementia patients struggle with. If a patient has higher cognitive function or they aren't quite showing signs of dementia, you may not see any of the following challenges with their eating. Some patients see a slower cognitive decline even after being diagnosed. All people that are diagnosed with dementia, they'll progress at different rates. So we can't just give a blanket statement if they're in the mild stage, this is the nutrition care plan. It has to be individualized to the person that is having dementia. Um, but it's really important for you to monitor for nutrition challenges all throughout their journey. So like I said, I can't give you a blanket statement of when these are going to occur, but what I can tell you is these are the common nutrition issues that we do observe. So number one is loss of appetite or decreased food intake and weight loss. They go hand in hand. So what you'll see is you'll see somebody that may have a loss of interest in food, so a reduced appetite, altered taste perceptions, this makes it challenging for the patients to consume an adequate amount of nutrients. And a decreased food intake, we know it can result in weight loss, malnutrition, and deficiencies in essential nutrients. Number two, 
we frequently see swallowing difficulties and dysphagia. Similar to the progression of dementia, we also see dysphagia progress. So whereas you might just need to alter the diet texture at the start, as the disease progresses, you can see the dysphagia getting worse as well. Dementia can affect the muscles that are involved in swallowing, and this leads to difficulties in chewing and swallowing the food safely. Dysphagia also increases the risk of aspiration, which leads to pneumonia. This is when food or fluid liquid enters the lungs, and it can impact their nutritional intake. Number three is impaired memory affecting intake. So dementia-related memory loss and cognitive decline can make it difficult for patients to remember when and how to eat, resulting in irregular or skipped meals. Forgetfulness may also lead to inadequate hydration and reliance on convenience foods that lack proper nutrition. Number four, poor food choices and imbalanced intake. So dementia patients may demonstrate a preference for sweet or highly processed foods, I'm not against highly processed foods. I'll just say that so I don't get some feedback that highly processed foods can be healthy. I know that. But what we're looking for is we still want them to have a balanced diet with your fruits, vegetables, whole grains that promote fiber intake, as well as proteins to help stave off that muscle loss. A lack of variety in food choice can contribute to nutritional deficiencies and compromise overall health. Number five, this is incredibly frequent in my observations, disrupted mealtimes and agitation. This does depend on the type of dementia. I have frequently seen this when they have Lewy body dementia. Um, Dementia can disrupt daily routines, including regular mealtimes, and it leads to erratic eating patterns and missed mealtimes. Behavioral changes associated with dementia can be restlessness, agitation, and difficulty sitting still, which obviously will hinder mealtime engagement and proper nutrition. So now that we've seen the top five nutrition issues that we see, how do you manage these? So let's go through the list. Number one, the loss of appetite. I recommend offering small, frequent meals throughout the day to encourage regular food intake. You want to provide nutrient-dense meals that are appealing, flavorful, and easy to eat. This might include having a smoothie as a snack. Soups at meals can be offered in mugs with handles, and they will need to be pureed because you don't want to increase that risk of choking by having a fluid with solids in there. Uh, Also, finger foods are a really great option, especially for people that are up and on the go consistently. You want to optimize the nutritional content of meals by adding higher calorie foods such as peanut butter, whole milk, cheeses, and fortify the foods to increase caloric density. It also can really help to offer them familiar or their preferred foods because this can help to stimulate that appetite and increase their interest in eating. If you're consistently serving them foods that they don't recognize, the chances of them grabbing it on the go are quite low. Number two, swallowing difficulties or dysphagia. You really want to collaborate with a speech-language pathologist for this one because they will assess the swallowing function and determine the appropriate food textures and consistencies. Your speech-language pathologist will be your best friend in patients that have dysphagia because they are the experts in chewing and swallowing. 
So if you can't get a referral out, I always recommend 100% of the time, form a great relationship with them and try to work together. What you're going to do, though, is you will modify the food textures to ensure safe swallowing, but you're also going to want to ensure that they accept the new food texture. You can change anything you want in a nutrition care plan, but if the patient doesn't accept it, then your care plan means nothing. You also can offer thickened fluids only if thin fluids are posing a swallowing risk. Like I said, follow the recommendations from a speech therapist. And you're going to want to provide foods that are easy to chew and swallow, such as cooked vegetables, soft fruits, ground meats, moistened bread. You really want to weigh in quality of life when you're looking at changing textures, though. So get the patient to weigh in if they're able to still communicate, and also their loved ones that are involved in their care. Really important to have them involved in the decision-making You never want them to come in and see, let's say, a pureed texture, for example, when they haven't approved this. The worst thing you can do is shock them. So make sure that they are always involved in the decision-making process. Number three, if there is impaired memory and cognitive function, you want to establish consistent and structured mealtime routines. This helps them to anticipate, and at times it can help them remember when to eat. You can also use visual aids in their rooms, such as pictures or a written meal schedule to remind them when a mealtime is coming up. Because if they forget that they have to eat, which does happen, this structure can really help. Serve meals in a calm and familiar environment. Minimize the distraction. So this might mean no music, definitely no television at meals because that can be um, cause agitation. You can also offer assistance and cues for eating, such as guiding them through the meals and using utensils if needed, but only offer assistance if it's accepted by them. Never try to force somebody to eat. You can always offer if they say no, you can leave and then come back and offer again. Number four, poor food choices and dietary imbalance. You always want to make food visually appealing because this can help to increase the interest and engagement in eating. Also, it helps to really incorporate colorful fruits, vegetables, whole grains, proteins with sauces on them because you don't want to serve, I'll just give you an example. You put a white plate in front of them with cauliflower, chicken breast that's fairly white in color, maybe there's a little bit of sauce, and potatoes. They can't see any contrast to them with their memory failing. That might look like you've just served them three of the exact same foods. So when you're doing a menu plan and you're reviewing what it is, try to have some contrast in there. So maybe instead of having cauliflower, you have mixed peas and carrots. Maybe the chicken, you add a little bit of seasoning to give it a little bit of a nice red color. And the mashed potatoes, you put in some flavoring. Maybe some dill is mixed in there to add a little bit of extra punch to the flavor. You want to make sure that you're thinking, does this food look visually appealing as well? Number five, disrupted mealtimes and increased agitation. Unfortunately, this can be a very difficult one and something that needs to be addressed over and over again. But some tips to help with this one are use gentle music to create a pleasant atmosphere that can enhance the dining experience. You can also encourage social interaction 
by sitting them with people maybe that they're familiar with or staff that they're familiar with. Um, Social isolation, when somebody is just by themselves all the time, that can decrease their food intake. So try to seat them according to where their social interaction might be best without increasing agitation. And this might require a little bit of back and forth and trying to work with staff as to what they think is best as well. So just keep that in mind when you're planning where people sit. And lastly, like I said, have staff that has a familiar relationship with a person to provide gentle reminders to come and sit down again. In all these cases, it's really important for the dietitians to collaborate closely with the interdisciplinary team. This includes the speech therapists, occupational therapists, doctors, and caregivers. This can help to have a comprehensive care and address the unique challenges of each dementia patient. Regular monitoring and reassessment of the nutrition interventions is essential to optimize the nutrition well-being of individuals with dementia. So, the top five foods for dementia patients. Let's get right into this. You want to have high-protein, high-calorie breakfast cereals. Whether the individual is on pureed, minced, regular, it doesn't matter. They can have some type of breakfast cereal. For example, pureed and minced, they can have blenderized oatmeal and cream of wheat. You can fortify these with whole milk, protein powder, nut butter, ground flax seeds to increase the fiber, but also throw in some fun things in there. So maybe you puree up some frozen mixed berries and drizzle it on top. Don't just make it plain. Try to make it a little bit extra for them. You can also add in oral nutritional supplements. You're just going to want to make sure that the texture is appropriate. Second, mashed potatoes. This is the golden food at dinner for most meals. So you can also fortify these. I love fortifying potatoes because nine times out of ten, mashed potatoes are a big hit. And depending on taste preferences, you're going to want to get feedback. You can season it with extra herbs and spices, dill and garlic powder, onion powder. Don't forget to add in the butter, protein powder. Thankfully, Benna protein dissolves really well. And also whole milk. You don't need to have bland potatoes. Try to get creative with your recipe development. This can be another great way to have protein and calories added with small amounts of food if that's all they're going to take in. Number three, smoothies. If a person with dementia is really struggling with meal times, smoothies are a great way to get a lot of calories in in a smaller amount. If you're looking for really great smoothie recipes, we have some on the Long-Term Care RD website, so don't forget to check them out. Number four, their favorite foods. I can't emphasize this point enough. We can all give generic food advice that we want as dietitians. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to tailoring our nutrition care plans to the individual. My grandfather, until the day that he died, loved donuts. When his appetite started to decrease as his disease progressed, would I have wanted the dietitian to continue to offer him vegetables to make sure that he got his daily vegetables in? No. My family and I cared about his quality of life. That meant offering him foods that he loved. Sometimes it will require the family to provide the food because facilities don't have endless funds, but reach out to the family and see if you can acquire some food preferences and try your best to get them in. If your facility can't afford them, discuss with the family bringing in the foods and the staff can hand it out. Number five, milkshakes. 
Have you ever had anyone turn down a milkshake? <laughs> I highly recommend that your facility has an in-house milkshake recipe. These don't have to be expensive or have a lot of ingredients. Sometimes it can be just as simple as milk, ice cream, and some frozen fruit to flavor it. Another high-calorie, high-protein offering, and it can be handed out at snack time so it doesn't interfere with the overall meal. So there's your list of the top five foods. You can adapt these to your facility, adapt them to the individual patient, but you want to get the most bang for your buck in everything. And that means having high-calorie, high-protein food offerings at meals and snacks. So we're going to be launching a great dementia and nutrition course, hopefully after final edits. It's going to be coming out next month. And I highly recommend that all dietitians working with the older adult population take some type of education in this area. These patients can be incredibly complicated and seemingly hard to figure out. But getting some tools in your tool belt on how to anticipate the changes, the nutrition interventions that actually work, and how to put loved ones at ease during the difficult transition can be an incredible opportunity. So if you want to be on the list for the course, there's already a lot of you, so please don't think that I've forgotten about you. I have you on my list. Simply sign up on the website for the subscription list. I look forward to furthering your knowledge on dementia and nutrition care. You can let me know what you think about this podcast. If there are any topics that you are requesting to know more about, feel free to send me a message. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at longtermcarerd. You can find us on the website at www.longtermcarerd.com or you can send me an email, longtermcarerd at gmail.com. Happy to answer all your questions and welcome to the community of dietitians that are seeking to improve the nutrition care of our older adult population one person at a time. Until next week, see you then.